two old boys have been doing games forever, and we're talking to the quarterback. And I don't know why I've adapted this little Chris Collinsworth delivery here, but it's kind of fun, and I might stick with it. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. Boy, I, uh, I, I made a mistake yesterday on the show. First of all, before I get into this, yesterday's show was a blast. I had so much fun last night. So thank you to everyone who called and was a part of the show. I just had a lot of fun last night. But I made a crucial mistake during last night's show. I played a Brooks and Dunn song. Now, I'm not a huge country guy. I can I can enjoy just about every genre of music, but the country that I listen to, I don't know, it's it's scattered. I like really old country, like 50s, 60s country, Hank Williams, Senior, Charlie Walker, Webb Pierce, like really old. And then I like some throughout the 70s and the 80s. Like, I really like Charlie Rich. And I like Ronnie Millsap. But that's, I don't know, it's some new country, sure. But yesterday I made a mistake. I played Brooks and Dunn. And now I can't stop listening to them. <laughs> it sucks. I can't turn them off. I've been spinning this Greatest Hits album that they put out in 2009. It's called Number Ones and Then Some. First of all, what a flex. It's like, hey, here's an album of all the number one hits we've had over the years. Brand new man, yes, and we played that yesterday, but ain't nothing about you, how long gone, she's not the cheating kind. It's like, oh my God. They don't. They never missed. Brooks and Dunn, they just didn't miss. And I played them on yesterday's show to make a point about Pat Connaughton, and now I am up a creek because I can't stop listening. So maybe this weekend I'll be a country guy. Maybe I'll be a country guy this weekend. No Brooks and Dunn on today's show. We're going to do some music stuff, but... No Brooks and Dunn. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Glad you're here. Normally, uh, let me backtrack. Sometimes <laughs> Friday shows are a little bit thrown together last minute. Right? It's like, well, what what throughout the week haven't we got to yet? Let's get, let's let's do that. We'll hear a little bit from a coach and a, a little bit more laid back. Like when the Brewers play on a Sunday at the end of a homestand, they have a getaway day. Eh, maybe we won't take BP and. Maybe we'll give the first string catcher the day off. Like, sometimes we have getaway days on Fridays. A little bit more laid back, a little easy going on the show. That is not today. Thursday night football was awesome. I want to start there. And then, of course, we're going to take what happened last night, discuss it, then apply it to the Packers. And we can talk about Aaron Rodgers and quarterback play and coaching decisions, and that's going to be a blast. At 4.30, I said he would be here. We organized it. We made it happen. We executed. We set a time today. I gave Justin Garcia a call, and we talked for like an hour. I'm not going to play you the full hour, but that's why I like pre-recording with Justin because we just won't stop. We'll keep going. So I edited our conversation down and I will play it for you at 4:30. We talked about the Bucks for about 12 minutes. Justin Garcia, if you're fairly new to the show, I think it's been a couple weeks since he's been on Bucks Radio Network, studio host. He's around the team. He's there. He feels it. He knows what's going on. Certainly a lot better than me, a couple of hours away. So we talked Bucks. For about 12 minutes. And then we went off the rails. And Justin Garcia, I call him our jam band correspondent here on the show. He's a huge deadhead. Huge into fish. Wilco, Pearl Jam. I know those aren't jam bands, but I'm just talking about who Justin likes. He's also a big John Mayer fan because he's got good music taste. But we didn't talk about that. We talked to Little Grateful Dead for like six minutes. He gave us a couple album recommendations. We talked about a couple different keyboard players and some different eras. So it's just fun. And if you're a deadhead, 
it's a cool conversation. And maybe if you're trying to get into Grateful Dead, I don't know. I don't know your headspace. Should be fun for everyone. I'll play that portion of the conversation right before 5 o'clock. Jocko is going to be here to talk Badgers volleyball. Mike Jocks, NBC in Madison, NBC 15. Just for like uh, 8 to 10 minutes. Real quick, because the Badgers volleyball team plays their national championship tomorrow night in, uh, where is it, Columbus they're playing, and they play Nebraska, who they played a couple of weeks ago uh, during Thanksgiving week. And I think throughout this season, more and more people are paying attention and watching. We might not be diehards, right? We're not buying jerseys, but people are paying attention. And I sent him a DM today. I was like, hey, I know you and Ebo are boys. What do you think about coming over to the dark side, coming on to the evening show of our network for a couple of minutes? He said, yeah, absolutely. So we're going to talk Badgers volleyball, real surface level. So if you haven't been watching, I've watched here and there. You're not going to be left out. Right, We're not going to gatekeep a Badgers volleyball conversation, but just check in with Jocko of NBC 15 at 515 just to touch base. Most of the rest of the show is going to be football other than those two guests. 608-796-2558. That's the talk and text line. You can tweet me at Wisco Grant. Follow me at Wisco Grant. Please follow me. I need the confirmation. I need the approval on social media. I am a, a millennial or am I Gen Z? Either way, we're obsessed with social media and we need the followers, so please get at me. At Wisco Grant. A lot of time to get to all those teams and topics and guests that I just said, but I want to start with Thursday Night Football because we deserved that game last night. Chiefs won in overtime, 34-28. We deserved that game. We earned that game as NFL fans, as football fans, because throughout the season, Panthers-Texans, we've had Jags-Bengals, Jets-Colts, yuck, yuck, yuck. Remember Ravens-Dolphins a couple weeks ago? Patriots-Falcons, which was uh, within the last month, might be the worst Thursday night football game I've ever seen. The Falcons just didn't show up. Like, no, I don't I don't think we will score any points. And I think we'll have three quarterbacks enter the game and all of them will throw interceptions. That game was terrible. A lot of bad Thursday night games. Panthers-Texans was on earlier this year. Oh, my God. That was back during the Panthers all-in era. Remember that? That was fun. So last night we earned it. And it was A-plus. Great game. And Mahomes and Herbert... That might be the best arm matchup in the NFL. I think Rodgers would be in that conversation too. But Mahomes, Herbert, who in the league has better arm talent than those two? Josh Allen probably has more gifts, but he's not as consistent. Although Mahomes missed some throws last night too. And I think excluding Rodgers, if you're talking about pure arm talent, it doesn't get better than Mahomes, Herbert. And I love that they're in the same division. It was as good of a display as football or in football as you can ask for. It was good of a football display as you could ask for. I don't think you could ask for two better, more gifted, talented quarterbacks on two more interesting teams in the same division, the same conference. Like, that's about as good as it gets. And then on top of that game, which was competitive and close and went to overtime, we also got controversy, which I which I love. I love watching a game and thinking, oh, boy, this player is going to get hammered tomorrow, or this coach is going to get hammered tomorrow, or this organization is going to get hammered tomorrow and my mind starts racing and thinking oh Skip Bayless might say this and Howie Long and Terry Bradshaw are going to say this and Colin Cowherd's going to say this and Mike Greenberg if you care I don't might say this right we just let our let our minds run wild thinking about what the reaction is going to be like the next day I love that I love when a game has gravity to the point where it's like oh boy this ain't gonna be this is gonna be pretty tomorrow and that was the game last night if you didn't watch here's why A lot of fourth down attempts last night. There were six combined between the two teams, and the two teams combined to go two of six on converting those fourth downs. The Chiefs, 0 for 1. The Chargers, 
two for five. A lot of points left on the field. Well, a lot of field goal attempts left out in the field. I personally, after watching the NFL, really only for, I don't know, closely and at an adult level, probably for a little over 10 years now, or getting probably back to 2008 is when I can remember and actually interpret what I'm watching. I've been watching football a long time, but I've been watching long enough to know I maybe don't trust Chargers kickers in the same way that we maybe don't trust Vikings kickers. So it's a little rich for me to say that the Chargers, by passing up on those three field goal attempts or those five field goal attempts, those fourth downs, that they left a bunch of points on the field. Nothing is a given in the NFL, but a lot of high percentage field goals left down the field. And of course, the game goes to overtime. So in theory, any one of those field goals could have made the difference for L.A. In theory, not in practice, right? Of course, the the Chargers could have kicked a field goal in the first quarter. The game goes completely differently, right? It's unfair to look at a game and say, well, if this one thing would have gone differently, well, sure, but if that one thing went differently, then maybe everything after that would have gone differently too. The one exception is if there's a field goal at the last second or if there's an onside kick, as we've seen with the Packers in 2014, or something at the very end. If you just change that one thing, sure, then you can keep everything before it constant. But to look back at the first quarter and say, oh, if only the Chargers would have kicked a field goal inside the 10-yard line, then they would have won. Mm, I think that's a little unfair. In theory, maybe. But in practice, probably not. I don't think we just get to add any of those three points to the final score, and then the Chargers win, and it doesn't go to overtime. I I think that's a little unfair. But it is fair to say... Maybe if the Chargers would have kicked some of those field goals, they would have won. I I don't know. It's fair to say. I don't think it's fair to say definitively, but fair to throw out there. It didn't even take until today for Chargers coach Brandon Staley to get dragged. I watched at a buddy's house last night, and as I was leaving, they were throwing it back to the studio crew for Fox. So I think it was Bradshaw and Menifee and Howie Long. I don't remember who else was on the set. It's a little bit stripped down on Thursday Night Football. And Howie Long just very calmly said, yeah, I think... uh, I think the analytics community took a beating tonight, you know, in Howie Long fashion. The analytic, the models, they really, they really took some damage. Which, no, right? no, no, I don't think they did. The analytics community, community. First of all, the term analytics, if we've talked about, it, is a little unfair because if something goes wrong and we don't like it, we just chalk it up to analytics, right? The people who study football and decision making people who work for teams and in front offices. It's not people outside the league on Twitter. There are people who work in the league just about for every team that look at this stuff too. They say, hey, it's actually smarter to go for it on fourth down. The percentages of winning the game will be higher. It's better to push for seven than settle for three. Sometimes three points doesn't even help you that much, right? This is the logic that we're now coming around to in the year 2021. The problem is it just didn't go very well for the Chargers last night. There was a third down play where Jared Cook had the ball and he dropped it. So that mucks up the stats and right there were play. They just weren't executed well on fourth down, but on Thursday night football last night and on studio shows today, everybody's saying, Oh, the analytics community taking a beating, right? That was the response. Now I think I'm siding here with quote unquote, the analytics community, whatever that means. I think I side with them in that. I believe that in 2021 field goals and punts should be outlier events. Once you get past midfield, it's more often than not you should be going for it rather than punting or going for it rather than kicking field goals. Now, there are some common sense things here, like if it's 4th and 14 from the 10-yard line, or that would make sense, 4th and 14 from the 20, we'll kick the field goal. The percentage of a 4th and 14 is low. But 4th and 2, 4th and 3, 4th and 1, you have Justin Herbert, you have Patrick Mahomes, go for it. What are you talking about? 
Three points doesn't even mean that much, and we've learned that. Three points really isn't all that influential. And by the way, it's worth mentioning, none of the field goal attempts by the Chargers last night would have taken the score from a one-score game to a two-score game. At no point did the Chargers have a chance to take it from 7 to 10 or 6 to 9 or 8 to 11, right? 8 to 12, I guess. Or, yeah, 8 to 11. None of those field goals would have extended the game to two possessions. Those field goals really weren't all that important. I think in modern football, the outlier events should be punts and field goals. Last night on a national stage, it looked bad, but I think coaches were going about it the correct way. And remember when you say take the points with the field goal, well, when you kick a field goal, you're also leaving points on the field because you're you're taking the three points when if you keep going, you could have seven. Now it's better than zero, but is three points really worth the squeeze? Probably not. Most of the time it's better to push for the full seven or the eight or six, depending on if you go for two or kick the field goal. You get my point. A touchdown's worth six points. Right, So Brandon Staley, after the game last night, was asked about this. Any one of those field goals might have won you the game, and this is Staley's answer. For sure, for sure. It's a great question, and, and, and I, I love the answer. It's, it's just it's life in the NFL when, in decision-making like that. And I think that from where my mindset is is that I know that the quickest way to win a game like that is to score touchdowns, not field goals, especially considering who's on the other side. And to me... When you feel like you're in an advantage situation, when you don't feel like it's a gamble, when you feel like this is an advantage for you, then that's going to be our mindset. Okay, and I don't think that any decision that we made tonight, I made tonight, was a gamble. We felt like it was an advantage situation for us, and that's why we did it. If we didn't feel like that was the case, then we would have kicked a field goal or we would have punted. And um, that's the way we're going to do things around here. And, uh, you know, I know that our team uh, embraces that mindset, and uh, we're going to continue to do it every game we play moving forward. You know why I love that answer is he doesn't cite numbers or percentages or analytics. So often we chalk these things up to analytics when they're just common sense or when it's a gut thing or a feel thing. Brandon Staley saying, well, we were looking to be aggressive. We were looking for an advantage. We weren't desperate, right? We weren't settling. It had nothing to do with a spreadsheet or numbers. And these decisions probably reflected in models and win probabilities, but that's not what he pointed to. He didn't say, well, a touchdown would give us a 70% chance to win and a field goal would give us a 66%. You know, he didn't do that. He talked about it in rather common sense terms. And I don't know why we always blast, it's analytics. Okay. No, I think it's just kind of common sense. Normally, I don't take calls in the first segment of the show because I'm scared that the show is going to get derailed before we even get started. Steven Lacrosse is calling. Steve, don't let me down. Don't don't call in and ask me about minor league relievers or something. <laughs> What's going on, Steve? First one, you are 100% correct. We deserved that game last night after the terrible Thursday night yes. that have happened. Yes. Number, yes. Number two, thank you for talking about punting and field goals. They are pointless. If you're inside, if you're on your, if you're on the other opponent's fifty-yard line or closer, for anything from fourth and four on in, you go for it. Yeah. Why don't? Why do you not go for the seven instead of trying to take three or punt the ball and pin down for for field position? It's pointless. There is no point to this anymore. More coaches need to get on board with going for it on fourth down. Wow, Steve. Thank you. you. Also, yes, Steve, I'll I'll let you go. Appreciate the call and have a good weekend. It's another thing. You mentioned field position. We should not factor field position into the equation as much as we do. Talk about flipping the field or pinning them back deep. Look, in college, sure. Or if you're playing two two teams in, in an NFL game and they suck on offense, like, I don't know, what teams would be an example of this? Who's really bad on offense? The Broncos? 
There are no contending teams that I take seriously that have offenses bad enough to worry about field position. These teams were marching up and down the field last night. Like, I think a team took a drive from the one-yard line to the one-yard line and got stopped. Field position shouldn't matter as much as we make it matter. In college, maybe a little different, like especially with the Badgers. But in the NFL, forget field position. Dominate time of possession, drive down the ball and get points, and don't worry about field position. Possession means more than field position. Let's take a break. We'll keep talking about this next. I promise. I see the phones. I'll get to you on the other side. Three-minute break. Wisco Sports Show back after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Garcia, Bucks Radio Network, and our resident jam band expert on the show will join us here in about 10 minutes. We'll talk a lot of Bucks and then a tiny little bit of Grateful Dead and jam band. Excuse me. We're talking about Thursday night football, some decision making by coaches. Uh, Let's see here. Bob Stock says hindsight is 2020, but if the Chargers score a touchdown on one of those, the coach is a hero. I'm with him on the decisions. You have Mahomes on the other side. Yeah, I agree. Thank you for the text, Bob. Uh, Jason, you have a music take. Can I save this to start next segment? Because we're going to talk a little bit about music with Justin. I'm going to save this text about music. I really like this, and I like the band that you're talking about. Let's save this for a few minutes. Text me, call me, 608-796-2558. You can tweet me, at Wisco Grant. Mike is in downtown Madison. Mike, what's going on? What's up, man? How are you? Oh, I'm good. It's Friday, and Thursday Night Football was amazing, so that makes my life a lot easier today. It was incredible. I'm actually in uh, rush hour traffic going around Chicago right now, not in downtown Madison today. Ooh, why? Um, uh, I work, my second job's in uh, Indianapolis. Oh. So you keep those Indiana yeah. ties. I see. Yeah, I, I fly in the military, and I, I got to go down there, and, and I fly a couple, well, two, three times a month I go down there and fly. All right, All right I got you. Done, I see. So. Learn a little bit more about a caller. I always enjoy that. Sure. So I just, before we talk that Thursday night game, I just want to tell you, thank you so much for the uh, Greeny comment because remember when Mike <laughs> Greenberg used to be cool? On um, Mike and Mike? Yeah. He, yeah. I loved ESPN too, Mike and Mike in the morning, man. I was, I, I loved it. I, I really enjoyed it. So, and now I don't like him. I don't so, know. I, so uh, before we move on really quickly, I like, I, I like, when ESPN, when I remember it being better, when I would watch, I think it was a couple reasons. Number one, because social media wasn't a thing. So we would watch SportsCenter, and we would get to yes. see the highlights. Like, we needed, it was an event. It's like, show me what I missed, right? And we lost that, yes. you know. And that's not ESPN's fault. I also like radio, where you can have long-form conversations, and you're not chunked into these little 40-second, you know, hits on Get Up. And that was Rosillo and Canell, and that was Mike and Mike, and they've lost that, and that's a bummer. Yeah, um, even Mac Yurko-Harry. Uh, out of Chicago, I really used to like that show as well. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of good ones like that, and I feel like you know, kind of went down to the wayside. And I mean, ESPN used to be fantastic, and now it is just atrocious. Yeah. Like mon- the Monday Night broadcasts are just awful. <laughs> um, so, game last night, um, I, I like the decisions, and and I'll tell you why. Some of your some of your points. The only fourth down decision I don't like is before halftime. I think take the points there. That's just, it's just my opinion. I, I mean, but all the other fourth down calls, hundred percent like them. I like the aggressive coaching, and I love that he came on the podium and said, "Hey, this, it's not analytic. This is just the way we're going to play. Mm-hmm. We're going to be aggressive, 
we're going to move the ball. And 100% to your point, dude, you have one of the best arms, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, in my opinion, Justin Herbert, especially one of the best young ones. Yeah. And and give it to your offensive weapons. They have tons of offensive weapons, and they were running the ball like crazy last night. Now, some of those fourth down calls, I think we can get into that. I don't know about some of the play calling on the fourth down. I, I believe in just running it up the gut and sure. and pushing the ball that way. I, you know, they had oh, – didn't they have like 200 yards rushing last night? I mean, run the ball. You know, always run the ball, and that's just my opinion. I think run first teams win more more often than not. I heard an interesting thing today. Run, want to run it by you on the herd? Yeah. Team, the team that had the most less than two yards, fourth and two and less, the most attempts in the last twenty years. Mm. Brady and Belichick. Yeah. Before that's and that's that's that, before analytics became a thing where people were talking about win yeah. probabilities as much. That's just a gut thing. That's what I'm saying. A lot of this is common sense. Yes. And having a quarterback but, who's really good at quarterback sneaking, that helps too. Brady's absolutely. Great. But Justin Herbert's that guy. He's a huge guy. He's what, isn't he six five, probably two twenty, two thirty. He's, he's a big six, dude. Six. He can get that he can get that yardage for you. So I, I think I think the calls are good. Um what a fantastic game. Um Travis Kelsey is just unbelievable. I mean, that guy, he looked like a cheetah out there, man. He was running like crazy. Um, and uh, I think you take those fourth downs. When you're when you're faced with that opposing Tyreek Hill, yeah. Travis Kelsey, you have to take that risk. It is what it is. It's not a gamble. It's it's just, you know, it's just the game. It's aggressive. It's football. It's, it's putting, it's taking control and not leaving things up to chance. And when you have a quarterback in an offense that's good enough to trust in as the Chargers do, I agree. Mike, I'm going to let you go. Have a good weekend. Appreciate the call. You too, brother. Mike in downtown Madison, although today Mike in Chicago, driving around. Uh, yeah, yes. Justin Herbert, by the way, six, he's six, six. He had a play last night where Nick Bolton, the linebacker for the Chiefs, was trying to bring him down, and he just held him off with one arm while trying to throw it with his other. It was... Yeah, he's huge. So that gives you a little bit more flexibility to be aggressive as well. Mike said one thing that I actually wanted to talk about, so I'm glad he put this on the tee for us. He said, I liked all the fourth down calls, except for maybe the one going in the half. Take the points. I, I do think sometimes going into halftime, it's nice to get a little, and it's going to sound weird, and, and the analytics community would probably hate this, but going into halftime or in big moments, sometimes it's better to get a little win like that. Even if you got to settle for three, like, yeah, I, I don't disagree with you there, Mike. Maybe going into halftime, maybe a couple of those or maybe one or two of those, maybe it would have been better to kick. And that was my question that I was going to pose to you. And we'll come back to this after we talk to Justin for about a half hour about the Bucks, right? Do you have to follow the same process all the time? Brandon Staley probably has his method, his logic that he follows with fourth downs. Do you need to stick to it every play? Or is it okay to deviate here and there? It's like, well, normally I would go for it here, but because of this, that, or the other thing, actually, in this instance, I want to kick, right? Is it okay to deploy different strategies at, at different points? I was thinking today about uh, Breaking Bad in season three when Mike sits down with Walt and tells him a story about when he was a cop and when he you know, made a mistake and it led to someone dying. And essentially, the moral of the story was no half measures, right? No half measures, Go all the way. I'll never make that mistake again. And maybe that's how you have to approach this fourth down thing as well. Because the odds on, what, fourth and two or fourth and one, pretty high that you're going to get it, but it's not 100%. So if you go for it and you don't get it, 
Well, then next time you come out on the field, the odds would say you'll probably get it again and maybe again. But then if you stop and you start kicking, well, then you put yourself in maybe, I don't know, not the most efficient spot, at least probability-wise. So maybe you do need to go all the way and maybe half measures, like Mike told us in Breaking Bad, maybe just not the right idea. The weirdest part of last night is I saw Mike McCarthy catching strays. I saw people tweeting about Mike McCarthy. It's like, oh, this is a Mike McCarthy-like performance. I was like, wait, wait a minute. Why? Why? Are you referencing the 2014 championship game? Because in 2014, the thing we were pissed about with Mike McCarthy is that he kept kicking field goals, and he wouldn't go for it. How many field goals did they have in this game? Packers did not go for a single fourth down in the 2014 NFC championship game. So where do I got to go find it? How many kicks did they have? Box score, kicking. Mason Crosby kicked five field goals in that game and went five for five. And for years, we were like, hey, he never went for the kill shot. He took his foot off the gas. So now, retroactively, we're remembering Mike McCarthy as a guy who went for it all the time and never got it. That's that's not true. I swear, sometimes we remember Mike McCarthy the way we want to remember him. Anti-field goal or anti-fourth down. Like, whatever excuse or whatever example we need at the time, we just use Mike McCarthy and we just make it work. It's very bizarre and we need to stop because it's revisionist history and it's not really productive to this conversation or the way we remember Packers history over the last decade. Let's take a break. We're going to get to Justin Garcia, Bucks Radio Network, talk Bucks and get an update on what's going on in the NBA right now. That's coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show, we got to get to Justin Garcia conversation that I had earlier, studio host of the Bucks Radio Network. I'm going to play for you that here in a minute or two, but first, Jason and on Alaska text in 608-796-2558 says, check out this show, Green Sky Bluegrass and the infamous String Dusters. Both are great. You won't be disappointed. Okay, so they're going to be at the Riverside and the Palace, so we have a St. Paul Milwaukee double in February. I've never seen Green Sky. The one thing that bothers me about Green Sky is they only have one album on Touch Tunes, and it's shouted, written down, quoted. It's not their live album. And I like Past My Prime and Run or Die and some of their albums off shouted, written down, and quoted are good. But let's get the live tracks on the Touch Tunes, please. I want some long bluegrass jams on the Touch Tunes. So if anyone has any pull with that company, I don't even know who owns Touch Tunes. I'll research that. Right now, I'm going to play for you a conversation that I had earlier today with Justin Garcia Talk a little COVID, talk a little Bucks, Pat Connaughton, and Drew Holiday, I believe we discuss as well. Enjoy. Justin Garcia, studio host, Bucks Radio Network. Bucks are in a little bit of a tough spot during yesterday's show. I think I think Bobby Portis tested positive and like every commercial break yesterday's show. Check Twitter, see who else got it. Knock on wood, hopefully we're okay with the Bucks and this doesn't keep going. And Justin, I know you and Giannis are like, you're tight. You're always talking yeah. with Giannis, chopping it up. So you're okay, right? He didn't give you COVID? I am fine. Uh, yeah, we're pretty tight. Um, I don't even know where to begin with it. That yeah. It's reached the point, and I'm sure your listeners and you even are the same way, where um, I, I guess apparently I have Reddit notifications turned on on my phone. And so yesterday I saw the Bobby Portis news. I got a notification pop up for a Reddit post for the Bucks subreddit. And it was just a picture of Drew Holiday. So my first assumption was, oh, my God, Drew Holiday, too? But it was yeah. just like a Drew appreciation post. But that's where we are, is you see a guy's name or you see something trending on Twitter and you're immediately thinking, who now? And yeah. today it's it's already, what, 10 as of this morning that have entered protocols. And the high for a day, I believe, was 11, which came on Tuesday. So 
it's not slowing down anytime soon. And I've seen some people say, well, maybe, you know, the Bucks are in a good spot because you want to get this now and get it out of the way now before the spring. But who knows if that's even accurate? I mean, we're seeing guys that have been um, – have the booster even and had been vaccinated that are testing positive. I believe we've had a few that have gotten it multiple times now. Yeah. And this is, this isn't even the Omicron variant that's coming through. So you, you can't even say like, well, at least you're dealing with it now. So it won't happen in the spring. Well, and it stinks because I, for my job, I have Twitter notifications for Schefter and yeah. Rappaport and Shams and Woj and all these people. And for the last week, it's so depressing because my phone's just buzz, 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 this person and that person. And like Kendrick Nunn earlier today, got it. And I don't, it's not that I don't care about Kendrick Nunn's safety and well-being. That's not what I'm saying. But, like, he's not on my radar. But because I'm getting all these reports, it's just beating me down. Like, it's it's sucking the hope and life out of me. I don't think they're going to pause the season. I know people keep saying, just shut it down for a week. I don't even know what that solves, to be honest. I, I don't think they're going to shut anything down. I think they'll push through this. They certainly have a lot of season left to work with. W- what's your feel on what the NBA might do, if anything? I, um... I don't think they're going to shut it down, and I don't want to sound callous here, but no, I feel you. I think the biggest reason is they're definitely not doing it now because they're not walking away from the Christmas Day money, even though those matchups have already been compromised. Where we got to assume Giannis won't play in that game, or Bobby Portis won't play in that game. James Harden, you have to assume, won't be playing in that game for the Nets. So it's already starting to trickle through. The Celtics just had four players enter too, and that's your Christmas matchup: the Bucks and Celtics. So. Yeah. It's already starting to infiltrate those teams. But the league, I just have a hard time seeing them walk away and take the loss in terms of revenue. When they started before Christmas last year just to get that Christmas money when everybody thought it would be around Martin Luther King Day. So I don't think they're going to shut it down or pause it anytime soon for that reason. But also, you know, let's just say they did. Um, I think we don't know what that would solve. Exactly. Like there's, there's still going to be a, a great deal of stress for the organizations that, you know, even though what, what we're doing now isn't really working in terms of containing it. Uh, if you do shut it down, how much control do you have? And, and how much are you, you know, being able to say, let's make sure these guys aren't doing this, this, or this, that if you shut it down for two weeks, who's to say they're out breaking, they're not out breaking protocols for two weeks. And then you just get it spreading even more rampant. Yeah, well, and a lot of players like Matt LaFleur and Mercedes Lewis both said something about this for the Packers last week. They're like, look, we go home and we go to work. It's not like we're going out clubbing, like maybe some guys, but I think a vast majority of players have just been unlucky, and they don't know where they've gotten it. The big bummer is, Justin, is 97% of the league is vaccinated. That was, it wasn't supposed to solve this issue, but it was supposed to prevent something like this, and that hasn't been the yeah. case, and that's that's kind of scary because I don't know what's next. Yeah, You know, yes, the players are very regimented, you don't know that, you know, a television producer isn't going out and meeting up with people afterwards. And yes, they get tested. But as we've seen, you can get it test negative, And then it's a couple of days later, you have it and you've already spread it by then. So yeah. I would be very surprised if we didn't see some of those things start to go away in the next few weeks. Yeah, it stinks because broadcasters do their job differently. They can still do their job and there are hopefully still games to broadcast. I guess that's yeah. the goal. And yeah, it stinks. I don't even remember the beginning of the season last year. I don't even know who their home opener was against. I remember the Nets game. It was awesome. I'll remember that game for a long time, the beginning of last uh, season. It was the Warriors. It was Christmas Day. Oh, that was opening day. I mean, I Yeah, because they started yeah. the 22nd or 23rd. It was right before Christmas, and then yeah. 
the Warriors game was the home opener. I remember they won. All of 30 people in the building. Yeah, the Warriors weren't as good last year, especially not at that time, but I, I remember so little. We're talking with Justin Garcia, studio host, Bucks Reader Network, close friends with Giannis, so I don't know how you didn't end up with COVID. That's must have been following protocol. Can we talk about Drew Holiday? Because when I turned on the Pacers game on, was that Tuesday night? Tuesday night? Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday night. I like I laughed when I turned it on and saw the Bucks were winning because I turned it on in the second quarter. Just watching Drew pick apart whatever different defense the Pacers went at him, get guys the ball when they needed the ball. He was in total control. And I said on yesterday's show, a point guard is is different in that point guard's like a working mom. Like Drew's got to handle his stuff, know the plays where he's got to be, but he's also got to remember, okay, this guy he hasn't had a shot in a while. Got to get him the ball and let's get him involved and 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 keep him engaged with a little post touch so he stays engaged on the defensive end. Drew was in control, and it was so much fun to watch because we haven't really got to see Drew like that since he's been with the Bucks. That's been what I've been talking about this week just to kind of avoid COVID whenever I can. Drew's been <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, that was um, that game was Drew's masterpiece yeah. where that was uh, basically like his, his Giannis game where he took over. I mean, we've seen him take over in stretches and play really well off of Giannis and Chris, but that was the game where you said, okay, Drew, we need you to be the best player on the floor, and he was. And, you know, before the game – Hearing Lloyd Pierce talk about Drew Holiday, the interim coach of the Pacers, find someone that loves you as much as Lloyd Pierce does, Drew Holiday, yeah. the things he had to say about him before. And we saw all of those things come to fruition where you looked at uh, no Giannis and Bobby Portis was playing, but Bobby Portis is, is never going to be confused for a good rim protector. <laughs> and I, I think a lot of the, the, the talking points were, well, the Pacers are big, so they'll have a big advantage there. And as Lloyd Pierce said before the game, you know, you don't need rim protection if you can't even get to the rim. And Drew's maybe the best in the league at keeping his guy away from the rim and, and not just his guy, but really the entire perimeter and navigating from player to player on the perimeter. So um, that's our biggest challenge is, in theory, we should have a major advantage, but he's a guy that can slow things down, and, and he just has this ability to play at his pace. And that's what we saw after the first quarter where – it's kind of a track meet. There was a lot of points in the paint, especially for the Pacers. I think it was like 24 to 8 or something Pacers in, in favor there and points in the paint. And then the Bucks just dominated from the second quarter on. And it was all Drew Holiday that I think they finished with like 44 points in the paint. And Drew had 22 of them that it was just unfair at times watching whoever it was, Chris Duarte, a lot of the times put on Drew Holiday that – you know, you can take for granted just how strong he is. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what we've noticed more this year, um, I guess more so than last year, but it's it's just been a gradual thing with Drew, is some of the passes that he makes are just insane, where there was a couple of left-handed passes. And I'm still convinced Drew Holiday is lying to us, and he is actually left-handed. Yeah. Um, but there was that, you know, he threaded the needle with his left hand to Pat Connaughton for a dunk. We've seen this play a couple of times where Drew gets into the lane and um, it looks like he's going to the rim for a layup, and he just flicks the wrist, and it's a perfect assist to the corner. The Bucks are one of the best corner three-point shooting teams in the league when Drew Holiday is on the floor, and you see plays like that, and it's easy to understand why because he just has this ability to be so deceptive and smooth that the defense collapses on him, and you think this guy is trying to score, and then just nonchalantly makes a perfect pass and a perfect read to one of his teammates in the corner. And it was cool they were sending doubles at him near half court. Like, you'd see a team do to Steph Curry when he's cooking. We're like, we're getting the ball out of your hands. 
Uh, before we take a break, Justin, one player that's blown me away, and I'm sure my listeners are sick of hearing about this because I was on Sandra it early. No, it's not. I can't even see his last name. It's bad. I, I just call him Mamu. One guy that I brought up over and over and over again this season is Pat Connaughton because this dude's just different right now. Like, I don't know, some switch flipped in the postseason. He's feeling a different level because I feel completely different. When the ball gets thrown his way now compared to this time last year, different player. And he was a part of it the other night. Drew was just setting him up. And Pat never hesitated, and he looked cocky, he looked confident. I love watching him play, and a year ago, I, I didn't feel that way. He's been great, and, you know, it's funny that, um, look, we all have to take L's at some point, but there's a large contingency of Bucks fans that should be wearing some L's that they're not. When you go back to last offseason, the criticism for two contracts, mm-hmm. re-signing Pat Connaughton to the contract they gave him, and Bobby Portis. And both of those guys, I mean, where would they be without them? Mm-hmm. But Pat Connaughton especially, he is going to be very, very rich this offseason, that the skill set he brings is something every team wants. And there is going to be quite a few suitors for Pat Connaughton here that the way he's transformed his game, we talk about Giannis doing this, but you know, we need to put Pat Connaughton in the conversation as well. For That's Justin Garcia. we got to take a break, or we're going to run out of time. Coming next. We're going to talk a little bit more Bucks and going to tap into Justin's jam band knowledge as well. Our jam band Grateful Dead contingent. Uh, step up. Justin is the guy we go to. He's got a couple Grateful Dead recommendations for us as well. That's coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. show my name is grant bills we're gonna hear from jocko nbc 15 in madison badgers volleyball playing for the natty so i was like all right i'll talk about it i'll learn a little bit about this team that's coming up in about 20 minutes we're gonna get back into thursday night football after five o'clock talk a little decision making and packers but right now the conclusion of our conversation with justin garcia deadhead ringer jam band correspondent justin garcia with some music recommendations justin garcia Studio host, Bucks Radio Network. So, Justin, I've been trying to get into the dead for a while. I grew up as a Jimmy Buffett fan, and I'm a big guitar player. So, like, it's always been there, and I've always tried, and it just hasn't really landed. And then the last two, two and a half years, really starting to grab on. And it's always, for me, been because Jerry Garcia plays guitar, and I love guitar players, and he's that one nut that I've never really been able to crack and appreciate and get into, and I've, and I've made it there. And over the last year, I've decided my, my favorite dead song is Franklin's Tower. I just, it's yeah. simple. And it's awesome. But what I've realized is it's a very high ceiling, low floor song. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of versions of Franklin's Tower. I'm like, eh, I'd actually rather listen to something else. But when it's at its peak, I I don't know that there's a song that I love more. And I've realized that a big portion of that is actually who's playing keyboards on it. And my favorite, probably the first version I ever heard was Without a Net. And that's from, I think, 1990, 89. And I've realized why I love that version so much. It isn't Jerry. It's Brent Midland. And it's the keys. Because it's sharp, and it keeps it together, and it's fun. And now that I've realized that, now I'm paying attention to keyboard players in this band a lot more, and that's kind of given it a new look for me. I mean, that's the funny thing about the the Dead, too, is you have so many different camps yeah. of, like, well, which guy are you? Are you a Brent guy? Or are you somebody of, oh, I really liked it for that phase when they were going through the transition and Steve Winwood was there. Are you a Pigpen guy? I feel like I keep kind of going back to the same i don't know three or four albums i'm trying to pull up what have i listened to recently so the one i remember telling you about this one a show that i listened to quite a bit 
the um, right before New Year's in 79, they played, I think, four or five shows in in Oakland at the arena. And the one on the 28th, to me, was always my favorite. They opened with a really good version of uh, Sugary. There was a lot of, of songs I liked on that set list. And it was just like, that was like when they were in their bag and at their best. So um, I listened, yeah, I listened to Road Trips Volume 3, the 12, 28, 79, quite a bit. The other one I listened to a lot because same with you, um, the whole, the trinity of, of Franklin's Tower and all of it. Oh. Um, Help and, on the way is is probably my favorite song, and it's with the keys. It adds that yeah. like it almost sounds like a carnival keyboard with Brent, and it's just oh my god, yeah. Help, uh, Help on the way is probably my favorite song, and there is the one from the Vault album where they open with that and then just go into the entire uh, trio of songs. So I listen to that, and then like you just hear different things every time you listen to it too. And you're like, oh, I totally missed that, and oh wow, like. They made this transition here and just like listening show to show, too, which is why um, I think so many people have the feeling they do about the dead is to me, there is nothing more frustrating than having tickets to see someone. And I've, I've actively stopped seeing certain people when you just kind of look through the set lists and see like, OK, I'm going to see them on Tuesday. They played on Saturday in Minneapolis. And OK, here's the set list they played. You come see the show and you're like. First three songs are the exact same as, oh. as I looked up on Setlist Archive. So, okay, they're just going through. Here's our set list for the tour. Like, whenever you find those artists, like, yeah, I don't think I need to see them again. And, like, with The Dead and, and certainly other artists, just hearing not only how they change their set lists with no rhyme or reason on a nightly basis, but also, like, how the songs can sound so different each time they play them. Um, like Uncle John's Band and other songs oh. that you listen to and you're like, man, they're playing this really fast or they're playing this slow or they're playing this acoustic that it's just every show is just such a different experience. Last thing, Justin. So I talked to you not that long ago about the dead and I got the sense that you were more of the Jerry songs rather than the Bob Weir. So I think of like working man's dead and it's a little more folky and more simple. Yeah. So I'm I'm remembering this correct. What I've realized is I like to go older for the more countryish sounding tunes. Like in 72, I find um, like, china cat jack straw like those songs and i really like those older keyboard players like pig pen obviously in the early 70s but then when i want to hear shakedown street or help on the way or like blues for allah like when they got a little bit more modern and less countryish brent just seems to find whatever keyboard sound or whatever touch it needs and that's where yeah. i find myself going to the 80s a little bit more it's probably not the most like life or grateful dead song but Ico Ico. Yeah. On this album from 89, the one in Philly with the Liberty Bell on the front. And Brent on this whole album is just going off, and it's the organ. And I think as the band like moves forward into the 80s, those mo- those more modern songs, maybe less country folk sounding, are just a little bit better. And I guess the Franklin's one that we're talking about off uh, without a net, like that would fit this this kind of constraint as well. Did you watch the the Beatles documentary yet? I didn't. No, I haven't gotten to it yet either. And I was hoping to do it like this upcoming week when the Bucks have three days off. But um, it's kind of like the same talking points with the dead and the Beatles where a lot of people are like, well, you're either, you know, a Paul guy or a John guy and you're either a Jerry guy or uh, a Bob guy. And there's a lot of similarities, I think, between Bob and Paul where 
John always hated Paul doing his old man music. And like Bob yeah. is the like kind of hokier, like the cowboy guy that's doing those types of songs in El Paso. And yeah. um, you see some of those you know similarities. I feel like through the years I've changed uh, for both of the acts that, you know, I really loved Paul McCartney songs. And then it was like, uh, no, like once you reach a certain age, you love John Lennon and you relate to everything that John Lennon did. And then I gradually became more and more of a George guy. And it was kind of the same with the dead where everybody's like, Oh, Jerry Garcia. But then like you do get an appreciation for some of Bob's songs. And especially since Bob is, you know, still around and doing it, but I have kind of drifted back to, yeah, I just like, it's, it's tough to argue with the songwriting and the lyric writing from Jerry and Robert Hunter. So that's the, the main reason of why I prefer more of, his songs. Uncle John's Band will probably always be like 1A or 1B of my favorite songs because I grew up listening to the Buffett version and then I came around yeah. and I was off Working Man's Dead, but Dire Wolf, I know it's folky, just oh my God. shooting I, up my power rankings. I love that song oh, it's so fun. much. And it's beautiful. One. It's about this werewolf creature that's killing yeah. people and it's the most majory sounding shuffle and it's great. And like It's the most like, Bizarre. the way that it comes across too, where that's another one that like I've heard it played like seven different ways about, yeah, like letting somebody in to basically kill you, knowing they're going to kill you and pleading with them, don't kill don't me. Kill me. In the end that they do. I found an all acoustic version of Dire Wolf that I really like because it almost needs a steel guitar sound to be perfect. Yeah. Also, I've swung since I saw Dead and Company, I've swung more back to Grateful Dead just for the pace of some of these songs. And I've yeah. been focusing more on keyboard players. But John sings the hell out of Dire Wolf and adds a touch to that song that I don't know if it was there with the original Dead I'll send you the version I was listening to. It always makes me want to dance. Well, cool. We should do this again. I could talk about this forever, but uh, yeah, COVID and Bucks. Yep, that back to reality. Thank you, Justin. And maybe, just maybe, because I know we were supposed to be at the same dead show a couple months ago. Maybe it'll work yeah. out in the spring when you're seeing John. Thanks again for the time, man. No problem. Anytime. Justin Garcia, Bucks Radio Network. Hey, he's a dead guy. I wouldn't be doing my job if I don't get to know the guests, their friends of the show, and ask them about what they get excited about. I'm going to tweet all those songs and albums that we just talked about. Fred at Wisco Grant. We'll get back into sports coming up next. Thanks for bearing with us. Happy Friday. My name is Grant Bills. I said to start this hour, I get some texts and tweets last year and this year. Talk about Badger volleyball. Talk about Badgers hockey. And I've been stubborn in the past. I'm like, no, we talk about all these other things. I just, I don't know much about those topics. And then today I realized, wait, we talked about the Grateful Dead for 10 minutes. I think I can maybe branch out (laughs) and talk Badger volleyball. Now we have a new guest today. So everyone sit up straight. Best behavior. Let's impress him. Uh, Jocko, NBC 15 in Madison, who's been covering this team. NBC 15 is covering this game all the way to Columbus, not Indianapolis. The Badgers haven't done so well there the last decade or so. Hopefully Columbus is better. They're playing for a national championship tomorrow night. Jocko, welcome. Welcome to the show. First time guest. I'm glad to have you. I am super excited to be here. I'm glad everybody's sitting up straight. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry I missed the, the Grateful Dead talk. I could talk to you too forever. Uh, they're my favorite, but you know, Grateful Dead is just legendary. So, uh, but uh, super excited to be on the show. Uh, I've worked in like all four corners of the state of Wisconsin, so I, I've never worked in 
the actual lacrosse market, but I did work in the Eau Claire market, which is part of the lacrosse market. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's a great place and I always look forward to, uh, my time in lacrosse. Thank you. Thank you for, by the way, thank you for playing to us. I'm worried about having new guests and impressing new guests. Thank you for, uh, for catering to us on the West side of the state. Just a little bit. Jocko, I, I had an experience when I was home for Thanksgiving. So my parents live in Menominee, which is by Eau Claire. And I went there and we went out for beers one night at like a, a bar that's kind of out in the country and the Badger volleyball game was on. And I don't really know much other than they're good. And I, you know, I pay attention when they're winning and losing. And I'm sitting there and my mom and dad keep chiming in my ear. And they're like, oh, this girl, she's one of the best at this. And she, oh my gosh, last week we were watching and she made so many good plays. And I, I turn around, I'm like, how do you guys know all this? But I think there's a huge contingent of fans around the state that have been following this team every single week. And now I'm starting to realize, okay, I'm on the outside looking in if I'm not following and talking about this team. See, your parents are smart people. Yeah. You know, they, well, they raised you, so obviously they're, they're good people, but they're smart <laughs> because it, it is a team that everybody is, is catching on to. The, you know, they're, they're led by, you know, senior Dana Redke, who was named the National Volleyball Players Association or Coaches Association, uh, Player of the Year, which is a huge honor. It's like winning the Hobie Baker Award for, for hockey, which you brought up as well. So, um, you know, we, we start with her, uh, Dana Redke, who, is now in her fifth year. Thank you know. There's not many things you can thank COVID for, but yeah. you can thank COVID for keeping Dana Redke around for her second senior season. Um, you know, I've had the pleasure of coach of covering her for the last five years, and you know, just as great as she is on the court, you know, just told you she's player of the year, and she's won. You know, she's been an All American uh, five straight years, first team. Uh, which has never happened before. Obviously, you know there's there's reasons for that. Yeah. But uh, but just you know, and, and people say that she's great off the court. She's great. Like, she really is a, a a superhuman being. I mean, it's somebody that you want to cheer for. Um, you know, just she, she's just great. She's a nice person to talk to. But on the court, she's I mean, she's a killer. That's what you do in volleyball. You kill. So she uh, she is a terror of the net. She's six eight. Um, you know, and every time I walk by her, I always feel like you know. I'm six foot myself, but every time I walk by her, I feel like I'm like five feet tall. So yeah. and nothing wrong with five feet tall people. No, uh, but uh, but it's just she is what gets the Badgers going. She is the leader, and I, I, I kind of said last night. You know, I've seen her play many times, but last night I saw more fist pumps and more like uh, yelling at her teammates, encouraging. I should say, you know, she just she's fired up. I mean, this is what they came back for. Her and, and other seniors like Grace Loberg and Sydney Hilly, who is another uh, All-American, you know, a three-time All-American, and uh, she did, they, they came back because they wanted to win a national championship, and they had a couple of bumps this year. You know, just I think everybody has had bumps the last two years as far as this life, but uh, she she has led these seniors um, Back to the, you know, back to where they want to be, and now they're in the national championship game against Nebraska on Saturday night. And um, this is exactly why they came back. Well, this team has made runs before, and they've gotten close before. What is it like for you covering this team and following this team when you come into a season knowing that it's it's not necessarily a last dance, but you know that everyone's coming back for this one last trip with Dana Redke, and this is the season it's all been building towards. This isn't necessarily their last shot to win a title, but this is what it's all been building for, and from the first game of the season, you know that, right? How does that change how you cover and follow this team? Because I'm sure that's interesting. That's a great question, because yeah, it's not like a, uh, a national championship or bus this year, but it kind of is. I mean, yeah. that's why all these, all these women came back was 
to play for this title. And and anything less than that, uh, maybe they won't say it. You know, um, you know, maybe you know, depends on what happens tomorrow night. And uh, they wouldn't say, well, this is you know, um, we didn't just come back for this. We wanted to see each other and stuff like that. And that, that is part of it. I mean, like they all like they they didn't like each other. They went, you know, like if you if you didn't like the women on your team. I mean, like, why come back? I mean, you know, there's, you know, there's a good chance you get wind up in the national championship game, but but there's a lot of great teams this year, um, so it, it's. I just think they all have this common goal, so it is championship or bust, and you know, and I think that's why when you set your your, you know, your expectations that high, that it, you know, it's hard sometimes. You know, that, that they did have some losses throughout the year where they didn't play great volleyball. You know, maybe just little things kind of got in their way or. You know, obviously, you get you know tired out from the season. You you saw a team like Louisville on on Thursday night that was undefeated. You mm-hmm. know that they, they hadn't lost a set in a million years, and uh, it, you know maybe didn't face maybe they didn't face as much adversity as Wisconsin did. So when when it got tough, when it got to that fifth set, Wisconsin knew what to do. They had been there before, and uh, uh, you mentioned they they've been close. I mean that they you know. This is their third straight Final Four. They made it to the national championship game uh, a couple of years ago. They made it to the Nationals uh, semifinals last year. Um, so th- they've had that experience. They just haven't been able to get over the top. But I, I'd say it is different covering this team, just knowing that, you know, from the time everybody said they're coming back, uh, they were coming back for a reason. So, uh, you know, you have, that in, you have that expectation in front of you and covering this team and knowing how good they are. It's like you kind of want to, you know, um, I, I may be a little bit different, Grant. I think you know, just from knowing me a little bit on Twitter and uh, you know, hearing me on other shows, it's just that mm-hmm. that I, I'm you know, you're not supposed to cheer for teams, but I'm cheering for this team. I mean, yeah. they're they're, they're, they're they're everything you know that that you, you know is good in sports, and they came back, they came back together, and now they want to win a national championship. It's hard to root against them. We're talking with Jocko from NBC 15 in Madison. No, I cheer for this team. We should all cheer for we should all cheer for this right. team. Absolutely, and I think. Maybe this is an American thing, or maybe it's global with sports, but I can't speak to anything outside of, you know, the sports we watch and the sports I'm used to. Right. We like teams that fail and then get past it. We like teams that fail yeah. and get better and try again and, and eventually climb the mountain. And I think that's what made the Bucks title so cool with Giannis is it was almost like Jordan, right? He had to get past the Pistons. He had to fail and get better and come back and keep trying. We like teams that do that, and I think that's why this Badgers team, for many reasons, uh, but for that reason is is likable. And they advanced past Kentucky, which was kind of a cool parallel with the Badgers basketball team that did it a couple of years ago. What about Nebraska? Because they played Nebraska a couple of weeks ago. That was the game that I watched with my parents. Uh, was that the Friday after Thanksgiving, the day after Thanksgiving? So now it's an opponent they're familiar with. How does that change how we go into this game? Yeah, in volleyball, you know, if, if people aren't familiar, this is this rivalry has kind of become um, Wisconsin-Minnesota uh, if both teams are good. Okay, sure. <laughs> I shouldn't say that right after the Bad- if the Badgers just lost in Minnesota. Yeah. Camera, it's that, still but, okay. <laughs> but no, but it's a rivalry, right? And it's it's a rivalry like, uh, you know, Michigan-Ohio State in football. It's, you know, it's, it's that type of thing where um, there's been some great volleyball between these two teams over the years. And it's kind of fluctuated. You know, there have been some years where the Badgers have, have gotten the best of Nebraska. And, and But I, I'd say, you know, as much as Wisconsin has kind of become a blue blood as far as uh, uh, volleyball goes, even though they haven't won that national title yet, Nebraska is definitely one of those teams that everybody looks to as being, you know, one of the top teams uh, in that sport. So, um, 
and I, I talk about blue bloods, but there's I think there's a little bit of bad blood between these teams. And I love that segue, by the way. Uh, yeah. But, but uh, just going from from uh, from on. the matches this year and the last couple of years, when when they played each other in Madison and when the Badgers won the Big Ten title, um, you know, there's not a lot. Of, there's it's kind of in between shaking hands, you know, like, as far as like. You know, some sports do it, or they go through the I five line, or something like that. And um, Nebraska didn't come over and say congratulations. So it was, uh, you know, maybe one of those things that the Badgers will remember. You know, maybe it's a little bit petty, but you use everything to your advantage. Yeah. And um, they 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 didn't come over and shake hands. So it's, uh, but but Nebraska's a great team. Wisconsin has won both matches, and we always talk about beating a team the third time is hard, but. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's going to be some really good volleyball tomorrow night in Columbus. And, uh, you know, like we said, we're, we're hoping the Badgers can pull it out. Bad blood to blue blood. First of all, you're a professional. That was oh. that was very <laughs> I mean, well done. I'm writing the, i got to write this down, dude. I mean, yeah. like, every, every once in a while it clicks great. That could be a graphic. That could go across the bottom of the screen. Right. So, yeah. Yes, I'm proud of you. Yes. You always got to be thinking of that it. stuff. Uh, Jocko, before I let yes. you go, I just got to say you've had a heck of a week because you were at the game – this previous weekend, and then you were at Lambeau because Sunday Night Football, you got NBC. You were at Lambeau. What was that like? That must have been pretty cool. Packers, oh, Bears on Sunday Night it, Football. It oh. was cool. It was just, um, you know, like, uh, I, I'm always, I feel very grateful for the job I get to do. You know, work, I'm the sports director at NBC 15, and, and just to, to do different stuff, to see, you know, and I'm just as happy as, you know, going to the NCAA women's volleyball as I am to go to Lambeau. Um, but I mean, like it, this was special. It's the Bears and the Packers on Sunday Night Football, so it's on our air and uh, was live before the game and then live after the game. But uh, you know, a little iffy at the beginning of the game. Um, you know, Bears take that ten nothing lead, but uh, you know, you just, it's, there's something special brewing there in Rogers. Maybe you talked about the last dance, and that's what you know there was talk about with this particular team and Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and their little fun games on you know instagram and yeah. stuff like that um but but um, maybe it is maybe this is the, the team that uh you know that they're all if, if this is it i mean like they're you know aaron Rodgers has played at a top level before i mean you know mvp but um he's playing you know even with that broken pinky toe he's playing very very well and it seems like they're on a mission just like wisconsin volleyball is to to get you know that championship yeah we've been lucky the last couple of years with contending teams the brewers the bucks the packers and obviously we have badgers volleyball now but there's a moment in all these seasons where i kind of let my guard down with the team and i say all right i'm emotionally bought in and i'm ready (laughs) to accept the fact that i could be crushed by this team losing but i'm all in on it and that moment was on sunday night when i'm watching him warm up and it's sunday night football and aaron Rodgers under the lights and the sleeves are on because it's getting cold i'm like oh god here we go again all right fine fine I'll be a sucker. Yeah. I'll buy in. I'm yeah. ready to, to have my heart broken again, but hopefully that's not the case with the Packers or the Badgers. You have coverage tomorrow night. Enjoy the match. I really hope we get a win, and I appreciate you coming on here and giving me a little help because I want to talk Badgers volleyball, but I can only go so far, so I appreciate you filling in the cracks. Right. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad, you know, uh, glad I could come on and, and help you out. I appreciate it. I'm, uh, anytime, I am here for you, and you get, quickly, you mentioned, you know, like being emotionally invested. I grew up in Milwaukee. I grew up in Greendale. Yeah. Um, so, the, you know, watched the Bucks for a million years because I'm a million years old. But uh, game six, it was like I, I, I had a hard time watching it because, like, yeah. you know, now you, now you know how close they are. And it's like, this could it really happen. And knowing, you know, being a Wisconsin sports fan all my life, there are some low times. And, like, oh, please, you know, please let this be it. 
for Giannis to come and bring a national championship, an NBA championship. It's amazing. You got to make hay while the sun shines. When your teams are good, you got to take advantage and win titles. And I hope that's the case with Badgers volleyball tomorrow night. Enjoy the match. And thank you, Jocko, a million times. I appreciate it. Have a good weekend. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you as well. That's Jocko, NBC 15 in Madison. All right. How'd I do? Did, could I, did I fake it for a couple minutes? I feel like I get, got a good grasp on some of this stuff. For those of you that are really bought in and have been following this team from day one, you probably think I'm a casual. And you're right. But, hey, I can get excited about a team when they're this close to contending for a title. And we like teams that fail and keep coming back and eventually get over the hump. And I hope that's the case tomorrow night. All right. If you have comments on Badgers Volleyball, hit me up. 608-796-2558. You can tweet me at Wisco Grant. Otherwise, we're going to get back into the Packers a little bit. I want to start with last night's game and start with Mahomes and Justin Herbert. There's a lot of similarities in those two. Herbert doesn't have a Super Bowl yet, a little bit younger, but a lot of similarities between those two, and I think they teach us something about quarterback play long-term in the NFL, and that's where we can bring Aaron Rodgers into the conversation. We'll do that next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Big thanks to Jocko for joining us. NBC 15 in Madison. That's a professional right there. Saying, hey, I've been in the western side of the state. Love that Love that part of the state. Giving us a shout out. And then, you hear that transition? Bad blood between two blue bloods? Wow. TV people are just built different. I get two hours to organize my thoughts every night. Like, hey, by, by 6 o'clock, hopefully I get a good take. Hopefully I land somewhere soft and it all makes sense. TV people, it's like, all right, go on. You got 45 seconds and you need to nail it. Like, man, I'm first 45 seconds of the show today, I think I was joking about Brooks and Dunn. TV people just built differently. Thanks to Jocko. Find him on Twitter, at Jocko Sports. NBC in Madison. They got a reporter who will be there tomorrow, so you can follow their coverage in Madison. And I'm sure a lot of places around the state will be doing the same. National title on the line between the Badgers and Nebraska. Some bad blood between those two. Blue Bloods. To start the show, both at 4 o'clock, and we kind of touched on it again at 5 before getting to Jocko, talking about Thursday night football, and it was an awesome game, and I don't know if there's two better arm talents in the league other than Mahomes and Herbert, maybe Rodgers, and maybe Josh Allen on some days, not all. He's not consistent to the level that Mahomes and Herbert are, and Rodgers is obviously just a little bit older, so if we're talking about the next 8 to 10 years, Herbert and Mahomes might be it, and it's great that they play in the same division. We get this twice every year. Yes! God, last night was just a preview of hopefully hopefully we get them in the playoffs again this year. Hopefully we get a, a trinity, a trio, a trilogy. I think trilogy is the word I'm looking for, not a, not trinity. So we talked a little bit about that, especially about the fourth down decision making because the Chargers went for it five times. They said no thank you to field goals, which I love. It didn't work out great. The result wasn't there, but I think the process was solid. Here's Brandon Staley, Chargers head coach, talking about his process. For sure, for sure. It's a great question, and, and, and I, I love the answer. It's, it's just it's life in the NFL when, in decision-making like that. And I think that from where my mindset is is that I know that the quickest way to win a game like that is to score touchdowns, not field goals, especially considering who's on the other side. And to me... When you feel like you're in an advantage situation, when you don't feel like it's a gamble, when you feel like this is an advantage for you, then that's going to be our mindset. Okay, and I don't think that any decision that we made tonight, I made tonight, was a gamble. 
we felt like it was an advantage situation for us, and that's why we did it. If we didn't feel like that was the case, then we would have kicked a field goal or we would have punted. And um, that's the way we're going to do things around here. And, uh, you know, I know that our team uh, embraces that mindset, and uh, we're going to continue to do it every game we play moving forward. First of all, I love that. He's got a process. They stick to it. Some weeks it'll work. Some weeks it won't. But I think if there's a week to really lean into being aggressive and trying to go and win the game rather than trying not to lose it, the week where you're playing against Patrick Mahomes and the division is on the line, a de facto playoff game, I don't know, that might be a little bit dramatic, but Chargers certainly would be in a better spot today if they won last night regarding the division and, and their chances at making the playoffs, at least with a really good seed, and now it's a little bit more murky. I know they were playing at home, and some people were indicating, well, you're at home, you know, you don't have to go guns blazing, push all your chips in the middle of the table. The Chargers are never at home. It's all Chiefs fans. Did you see it there last night? A lot of red in that crowd. The Chargers don't have a home field advantage, which sucks for them. They're an awesome team with a really cool stadium. I wish they had more of an advantage. They're kind of the Clippers of L.A. Although the Rams, I mean, the Rams don't exactly pack it to the gills. There'll be plenty of opposing fans there. Any games in L.A. It's like Packers fans. Oh, you're telling me that I can go to L.A. where it's warm and uh, see a football game? All right, fine. When am I going? I'll buy my ticket a year in advance, right? It's a little bit of a disadvantage they have. People always want to come visit there. Coming to Green Bay. Well, a really cool experience in the sea Lambeau Field. Uh, not exactly the most welcoming of weather. Welcoming people were very nice, but not exactly a climate and a vacation destination quite in the same way that L.A. is or Arizona. Um, Steelers fans, Packers fans, us gritty Midwest team fans. Uh, we like to travel and go to games where it's warm. Something that I wanted to touch on today, and maybe we'll come back to this next week because this I want to flesh out a little bit more and maybe look for some numbers and This is just kind of a preliminary take, something I started thinking about last night. Patrick Mahomes comes into the league, lights everything on fire right away in his de facto rookie year, which is actually his second year in the league. He's the best. He's untouchable. He wins MVP. He throws 50 touchdowns. Should have gone to a Super Bowl if D4 didn't line up offsides, but when you're playing against Tom Brady, things like that will happen. We've had this discussion before. Now, the next year comes back, is brilliant, leads big comebacks in the playoffs. They win the Super Bowl. Okay. At that moment in time, that moment in time, freeze it right there after the Super Bowl two years ago. Mahomes is the undisputed best player in the league. He's the best quarterback in the league. Maybe the best we've ever seen. Arm talent, mobility, huge strength in that arm. Can throw it a mile. Can throw it from any angle. Creative. Can play off script. Pairs really well with Andy Reid and Kelsey and Hill. And it's, it's just great. It feels like it'll never end. And then last year, they didn't cover a whole lot of games. It was close. And then they lose to Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl. All right. They come back this year. Mahomes doesn't really look the same, does he? The offense is kind of sticky. And I understand they had moments of brilliance last night where they went off script and they found Kelsey and they found Hill and they're great. But for big portions and big stretches, I'm watching plays and I'm thinking, oh, well, Hill's open. Why didn't you just throw it there? Or... McCole Hardman's open. Why didn't he throw it there? And on what I believe was a two-point conversion, Mahomes rolls to his right, throws back across his left, and finds Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the end zone. That was the harder play. Mahomes didn't need to make that play. He had guys open all over the end zone. He didn't trust him. He didn't see him. He didn't feel them. I, I, I don't know. My point about Mahomes, and I think this is something we've talked about, and we've compared him to Rodgers in the career trajectory of Rodgers. You come into the league, and you're so good. And because you're not paid very much, There's so much talent around you. The defense is good. Your weapons are great. The league is just seeing you for the first time, and it's paradise, and it feels like it will never end. 
And then you get the deal, and you lose in a tough Super Bowl, paid a lot more, and there's a little bit of entropy on the roster. Got to let some talent go. Your GM maybe makes a bad pick here and there, a bad trade here and there, and all of a sudden it's not paradise anymore. Now all of a sudden you're expected, hey, you got to be amazing every game. I know you got Hill and Kelsey and Andy Reid, but the team around you isn't as flawless as it was two years ago. You have to be perfect. And what did we see this year? Mahomes struggled. Almost like he needed to start over, like he needed to get back to his roots and get back to his foundation because the off-script stuff was a struggle and they were making it harder than it needed to be. Well, Mahomes didn't have roots to go back on because he came in from day one and it was easy for him. It was amazing for him right from the jump. And now for the first time in his career, Mahomes is struggling a little bit and he's not dealing with it super well. I know the Chiefs are great. They could very well win the Super Bowl this year, but quality of offense, right? How does it look on the screen? It just doesn't always look great the same way that it didn't sometimes towards the end with McCarthy and Rodgers. Now talk about Justin Herbert. Last night, Aikman and Buck were going off. Oh, and it's just crazy to think this guy is in his second year. Think of how much better he's going to get. He's chasing Andrew Luck's yardage record through his first two seasons. Like, oh, Justin Herbert, Justin Herbert, Justin Herbert. And yeah, he's great. Absolutely. The same way that Rodgers was great right from the jump in uh, 2009 and 2010. And then his MVP again in 2011. Uh, The same way that Mahomes was great, as we just described. I actually think it's detrimental in some ways, long-term, for a young quarterback to come into the league and strike oil immediately. Immediately. And to be successful in every throw you make, Every improv you try to pull, it works out, right? Every crazy throw you try, it works out. Your wide receivers are amazing. Your defense is great. That's great for the first two or three years. And the Chiefs got a Super Bowl out of it. And the Chargers, hell, they could win a Super Bowl this year. We'll see. But what about two years from now with Justin Herbert? When the roster isn't as good and the league's got a little bit of a read on him. And now all of a sudden, everything's not so easy anymore. What does he have to go back on? Well, he's always been great. He's always been amazing. He never really had to struggle. He never had to have tough learning experiences. He he never had to work on his game and craft his game in a way that's boring. He never had to build that foundation. I think that's that about Rodgers. I think that about Mahomes. And now I think we might be about to see it with Herbert maybe in another year or two. It's so easy for him right now. What happens when all of a sudden it's not so easy? Colin Cowherd said this about Mahomes a couple weeks ago, and I think it's an outstanding point. No quarterback has come into the league, been amazing, and then had a linear career projection from there on out, right? One MVP in year one, and then got better, and then got better, and then got better, and got better, and better, and better, better, and it's this graph that just goes straight up. No, it's never worked out that way. The regression always comes. The bad luck always comes. The coaching depletion always comes. The roster entropy always comes. It always struggles at some point. There's always a rough patch. There's always something that happens. No quarterback has come in by the best quarterback in the league like Mahomes and then continued on that trajectory forever. It's never happened. It didn't happen with Rodgers. It didn't happen with Mahomes. You can think about Peyton Manning. Drew Brees went 7-9 three straight years. It didn't happen with him. And I don't think it'll happen with Herbert. If it does, it'll be the first time. And I don't think it's very likely that however many years into this league, we're only now going to get the quarterback that's amazing in year one and two and then just never stops getting better. I don't think it's going to happen. Where Tom Brady has the advantage over Rodgers or Mahomes, or Herbert, is that when he came into the league, he was the system quarterback guy. He was a drop back, hit your checks. Drop back, hand the ball off. Drop back, run this play. Drop back, look over here, that guy's open, just like I said he would be. He came in and was plain. He was ordinary. He wasn't special. 
His athleticism wasn't unreal. His arm talent wasn't unreal. Tom Brady early on in his career didn't have the talent, and he certainly didn't have the freedom from Bill Belichick and his staff to go out there and run around and improvise. He had to play football the most rudimentary way. He had to start by doing the most basic things. And only when he perfected those most basic things could he move on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And over Brady's career, you've seen him literally get better. He's a better down-the-field passer now than at any point really in his career. Now, I think Rodgers is more talented. I think he's the better quarterback. But his progression isn't the best for trying to win consistently every year because there's ups and downs. And Rodgers has to reinvent himself and solve problems. Tom Brady has been linear in that he didn't start as a brilliant quarterback. He started as an ordinary guy, and he learned how to do this, and he learned how to do this and that and the other thing. That's why self-made people are so much better with their money. Like, talk about succession, right? This is a show we keep referencing. But Logan Roy in the show is this media mogul who's basically an ode to Rupert Murdoch, right? Logan Roy or Rupert Murdoch weren't born billionaires, weren't born millionaires, right? They were born kind of average people, or I think Logan Roy was pretty poor as a child. He grew up in Scotland in the show, and he had to fight and scratch and claw and learn every little thing and experience every little thing for himself. And now that he has progressed in a linear way, like quarterbacks typically don't if they start amazing, right? He's gotten better and stronger and smarter and faster to the point where now he's almost indestructible in the same way that Tom Brady is because he had to go through the paces. He had to challenge himself and get good at the little things before he could deal with the big things. Logan Roy had to make $100 decisions, $200 decisions before now running a media empire has to make billion-dollar decisions the same way Rupert Murdoch. Rupert Murdoch's freaking indestructible, right? Because he got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger over the years to the point where every deal, it feels like he's equipped to make it. And then at the end, of course, he cashes out and he sells to Disney and he's like, all right, I did it. Go ahead. I want my money now, right? Tom Brady is the same way. He wasn't born a trust fund kid. He wasn't born filthy rich. He wasn't born into being a great quarterback the same way maybe Mahomes or Herbert or Rogers were. He was born ordinary, and he had to make himself into the quarterback that he is today. And I'm not making this a thing about work ethic. They all work really hard. I'm not making this a thing about drive. That's not what I'm saying. Tom Brady has built his game. He's had to add things to his game. Mahomes and Herbert have all the tools now. Brady didn't have those tools to start. He had to learn the foundational pieces to playing quarterback. And that way, when things got tough for Brady and regression came and his roster you know, decayed a little bit for whatever reason, he had those fundamentals to go back on. When the roster got poor around Mahomes and the defense decayed and, and the struggles came, he had no foundation to go back on because day one he came into this league and was this wizard who could improvise and just get things done. I think... In the 20-year scope, and most quarterbacks don't play for 20 years, so let's say 12, 13-year scope, it's almost better for quarterbacks to struggle right from the jump. Now, the Chiefs won a Super Bowl. There's no regrets about how Patrick Mahomes is busted into this league. But I think there's value in starting as a plain, ordinary quarterback, learning the ropes, learning the basics, so that you have something to fall back on when tough times inevitably come in for quarterbacks in this league. They always do, no matter how brilliant they are when they come in week one in season one as Mahomes did in his first season as a starter winning MVP. Let's take a break, get an update from Mike Clements. We'll put the finishing touches on the Wisco Sports Show for the week after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.